Welcome to the Damascus Road Podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. So it's finally fall. Thank goodness for this beautiful weather. Thank God for this beautiful weather. This is 80 degree bliss. (laughs) We can now look forward to hockey shopping, pumpkin patches, and trips to the emergency room as people attempt to cook who have never cooked before. There's no doubt that there's something very special about this time of year, whether it's especially good or especially awful. I know that I'm excited for the fall, but I've noticed a lot of people struggle this time of year. I'm feeling pretty content right now, but I know that poor mental health comes around this season, and I'm trying to prepare for it. Uh, November is usually the most difficult month for our students at DR. Finals are soon approaching, and they are coming face-to-face with the consequences of all those late nights and missed assignments. Failure, whether real or perceived, takes a toll on people. Then added to this is the usual challenge of the holidays. While they are supposed to be the best days of the year, for many, they are often the worst. For example, my Christmas was really bad last year. I had to spend it alone. Um, My family and friends were all out of town, and it was lonely. Um, And that's kind of how all my Christmases have gone the last few years. Um, And hearing this, you may be thinking, Devin's just a bummer. She just doesn't like holidays. That's not true. Um, I love Thanksgiving. Or to be more specific, I love the way I celebrate Thanksgiving now. Uh, Growing up, however, you're right. I was a bummer, and I hated Thanksgiving. I wanted it to be this special holiday, and I would try to get myself all worked up about it, but then every year without fail, I would be disappointed. I would get upset at my uh, grumpy veteran grandfather, who I wasn't allowed to be mad at, because that's unpatriotic. Uh, My mom would complain about how much everything cost and how much work it was. Um, Then at dinner, I would be reminded of how depressing it was that my grandmother was disabled and couldn't cook delicious food anymore. Uh, Then I would get stuck on dish duty and think, what's the point? I wouldn't feel grateful at all. But these days, Thanksgiving has been awesome, and I'll tell you why. It's because of my friends, Marilee and Kyle. That's us last year. Oh, I'm wearing the same shirt. That's great. (laughs) Um, So they live in Denver, and for the last two years, I've spent my Thanksgiving with them, and I just got my ticket to go see them again. Um, While I'm there, we love to cook together, go ice skating, rock climbing, puzzles, see weird movies, just do everything fun that we can possibly pack into a three-day trip. We also just love to talk and talk. We never run out of things to say. I usually lose my voice. Now, maybe because we only see each other a few times a year now, um, but maybe it's because, like, it's so, like, uh, I don't know. It's just really concentrated. It just feels so much more special now. And it's legitimately special, not just the way the commercial hype wants you to feel or the pressure that comes from family who wants you to have a good time no matter what, um, even if you're not in the mood to celebrate the holidays. Looking back, I really think that what makes Thanksgiving amazing with these friends is how cheerful they are. Um, It's not just this time of year, but all the time. These friends are really joyful and grateful people who love each other, and they love me. Um, I know that when I'm there, they're happy to see me because they spoil me with attention. 
Uh, like when Kyle makes me delicious artisan coffee every morning, and then he does a little dance when I tell him it tastes great. Um, that's what makes my time with them awesome. And I don't even really love Thanksgiving. I just love the time spent together. Uh, last year, as I left their apartment to drive back, um, I found myself crying because I didn't want to go home. I found myself wishing things could just be like that all the time. I wish I always felt so lucky to be alive. Uh, that's what the holidays want to promise us, isn't it? That feeling of being so happy we could die. That desire to have the most perfect day sells billions of dollars each year as people fill their homes with dry turkeys and glittery trees. We are all in this pursuit of happiness, looking for the key to a good life. And we are bombarded every day, and especially this time of year, with lies about what will give us that good life. Um, it's not just holidays that sell us lies about what will make us happy, either. It's the next big adventure or vacation. It's the next home upgrade. It's the perfect relationship followed by a big fancy wedding. Just one more thing and you'll finally be happy. Just a little more and you'll be satisfied. Always, always just a little bit more. But these promises don't really deliver. We come back from our vacations just as restless as before. Our perfectly remodeled kitchens didn't magically fill with people who love us. And chasing that perfect hallmark romance left us feeling more lonely than before. But Jesus warned us about this. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. As Christians, we are called to have faith that the best life is not the life with the most wealth and pleasure. The best life was and is Jesus' life. And the way to real happiness is to live like he lives. So today we will continue our cheerful heart series. And I want to walk us through the ways that Jesus and his apostles gave thanks and contemplate if this practice really leads to the good life we're looking for. Is Jesus' way really more cheerful? Let's start with a story from Acts about the Apostle Paul. The book of Acts tells the story of the early church and how the apostles spread the good news all throughout uh, the ancient world. And the lives of the apostles in Acts are a mere reflection of the life of Jesus. It shows us that when we follow Jesus, our lives will look like his, and our deaths may look like his too. We see this in the life of Paul because he faced the threat of death constantly. Uh, in the story we're about to look at, Paul is being held captive uh, to be taken to Caesar, and the ship he's on hasn't been able to dock for weeks because of terrible storms threatening to cause a wreck. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. So Paul's circumstances here are terrible. Uh, their ship is probably going to wreck. Uh, they have no food, but he is grateful in the storm. He uses this time to share good news with his captors. They are worried sick and won't eat, so Paul takes the Lord's Supper with them to give them peace. Now, the lives of the apostles don't look like what our world says is a good life, uh, but we know that they were happy, uh, living out their purpose as Jesus' representatives to the world. On this boat full of people from all walks of life, prisoners, 
um, captains, rich and poor, the only one remotely happy or hopeful was Paul, the one who followed Jesus. Two people in the same boat can have very different experiences based on their perspective. One will see it as the end of the world, the other will see it as an opportunity to share God's goodness. We may be in the same boat as someone else, but we all will choose to handle it differently. The thing that makes it bearable isn't getting in a different boat, but rather our way of living in it. Much like Paul, we are on a boat full of scared people who don't know how to be grateful. And the symptoms of ingratitude and greed don't always look how we expect. It may look like hyper-focusing on the material, always afraid of not having enough. This fear can manifest through workaholism and never letting yourself rest. It can also look like consumerism, always needing to have the best and more of it to find a sense of security. It can also look like escapism, like the holiday example I talked about earlier, living for the weekend or putting all your hope in the next great adventure. And it can even take the shape of perfectionism and people-pleasing, needing others' constant approval and more and more of it all the time just to feel okay. And ingratitude doesn't always take the shape of materialism. In fact, it often looks like anxiety. You may not need fancy things, but that doesn't mean you're grateful. Here are things I hear all the time that are symptoms of ingratitude. I never get enough sleep. Everything is so stressful all the time. I just have to get through this week. I'm just so out of it. Or I'll never fit in. No one cares about me. Nothing ever goes my way. The list goes on and on. It sounds like people living in survival mode, afraid of what may happen next and leaning into unhealthy coping mechanisms just to make it through the day. People who are distant and distracted and worried. Ingratitude can also sound like depression. It looks like people who think that life never goes their way or that they've been given a bad lot in life. They compare themselves to others and feel like they've lost the game. They have failed or have been failed and they are afraid to try again. This can look like isolation, neglecting yourself, uh, neglecting your needs, or even abandoning the things you used to care about. We live in the age of anxiety and depression. I don't think it's a coincidence that mental health is declining in the US at the same time that the Christian population has decreased. More people than ever are given unnecessary mental health medication or they self-medicate to numb themselves. More vices than ever are available to us to help us ignore our fears and not process them. Yet like Paul followed the example of Jesus, we are called to live differently as grateful people. Uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. God's will for you is not the greed, fear, or anxiety of the world. His will for you is joy. His will for you is gratitude. We often talk about God as a very generous God, but we rarely talk about him as a grateful God. Um, but there are a lot of examples of him being grateful. So let's just take a look at three times Jesus, who is God in the flesh, was grateful. The first example I'd like to look at is when Jesus fed the 5,000. Here the disciples were stressed and anxious about not having enough to feed the large crowd gathered to hear Jesus teach. They, want to send, uh, they wanted to send the crowd away and make it someone else's problem. Uh, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We 
have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So we've talked about this story many times at DR, and we usually focus on Jesus' ability to provide and multiply until there's abundance, and that part is awesome. But today, I want to focus on what Jesus does before he multiplies. He first gave thanks for what he had, and then broke the loaves. Jesus gave thanks when there was not enough. He didn't break the loaves and then give thanks for the abundance. He gave thanks for what was given to him, and then it multiplied. We like to think that gratitude will follow providence, but here the providence comes after gratitude. So what if gratitude multiplies what we already have? In James Brian Smith's book, The Good and Beautiful God, he shares an example about how badly he desires to have a million dollars. He thinks about all the good that could be done, how many hopes and dreams would come true for his ministry with that kind of money. But then he tries to think about what he already has and how much it is worth, like how he has perfect eyesight. If he was blind and was given the choice between having eyesight and having a million dollars, he would quickly choose to have his sight again. So once I was complaining to a friend about not liking the way I look, uh, which I used to complain about a lot. Um, I've never totally loved things about myself, like my weight or my thin hair, what have you. Uh, but she wasn't interested in talking about these things with me. Instead, she said, if you had to roll the dice for a chance to get an entirely different body, would you do it? I was taken aback. If there was some kind of random body generator that would give me any set of random uh, abilities and aesthetic features, would I hit the button? Would I, let good, would I let go of the good my body has just for the chance to get something different? Um, my answer is no. <laughs> my body's very healthy, and there's no guarantee to get a healthy body in this generator. I also started to think about the things I like a lot and I would miss, like my blue eyes or my singing voice. And that question made me more thankful for the body I already have. It's important to thank our lucky stars and ask ourselves, how much has God already given us? If you had to throw your lot into a random fate generator for a new life, would you do it? A random body, a random home, random family, different education, a different career. What would you miss and what would keep you from rolling the dice? Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. We like to compare the best of what we have with the worst, or we like to compare the best of what others have with the worst of what we have. And this often makes us feel like we have less than we should. But I think what can actually make us more joyful is doing what Jesus did, seeing the good in what we already have, even when it's not enough. In doing so, we realize how much God has blessed us already. All right, the next example of Jesus' gratitude is in this prayer in Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Here we see that Jesus takes time in his busy day of teaching to give God credit. 
his students are learning, people are discovering the truth, and he recognizes this as a gift rather than the results of his own efforts. It is a blessing to Jesus that God the Father is present in his students' lives and that God is revealing himself to those who are childlike and not those who are prideful. He recognizes that it is beautiful for God to do things this way. Now, this section can be a little confusing because Jesus is God and also is separate, but let's not focus too much on the complexities of the Trinity in this message. Uh, Let's just focus on what Jesus is doing. He is showing gratitude to God the Father for being who he is. In the book of James, it says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. That's such a good verse. (laughs) When someone gives you an excellent present, do you thank the present or the person who gave it to you? Okay, thanks. (laughs) The person, of course. Gratitude is about recognizing the giver, not the gift. It is learning to recognize the creator in his creation. When we see that something is good, that is an opportunity to see the goodness of God. Now, this is a more spiritually mature way to pray gratitude because it requires the person praying to be kingdom-minded. Often in our prayers, we're individually minded, and we see ourselves as the center of the universe. We are prone to selfishness and trying to get God to do our will. Yet Jesus shows us what it looks like to be grateful for God's goodness and God accomplishing his purposes. He recognizes God as the center and is grateful to see his glory shown to others. Jesus honors the creator, not the creation. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks the question, what is the chief and highest end of man? And it gives the answer. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. A cheerful and fulfilled heart delights in God's presence. All right, let's look at one more example of Jesus being grateful. This section from the this section is from the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was crucified. And yeah, that's a strange section to be talking about gratitude, uh, but just trust me on this one. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. At this time, Jesus knows that someone is going to betray him. He knows who it is. And he knows that death is just around the corner. This is the worst day of his life. So what he says next is really shocking. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said it to them, or he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out, uh, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. On the worst day of his life, Jesus gives thanks. 
That's crazy. How can he be grateful at a time like this? How is it possible I would be freaking out? Um, I can't comprehend how Jesus is so calm. But I think the reason for Jesus' supernatural peace lies in the cup that he drank. He says, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As the world is crashing down around him, he looks into the future. He looks forward to the day when he sees his loved ones again and all things are made right in God's kingdom. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is calm and collected all night long. He grieved in the garden and he prayed for suffering to pass him by. But while he was anguished about his present circumstance, he looked forward to the future God had prepared for him. His gratitude was not reliant on circumstances. It was rooted in a deeper hope in the redemption of all things. I think this form of gratitude is so important to practice in our walk with God. Just learn that even when we are not happy about how things are now, we can be grateful for the future that awaits us. To see that God's kingdom is ultimately so much more important than temporary happiness. We can remind ourselves of the reality that all things in the present age will pass, and ultimately only God's kingdom will remain. This hopeful gratitude is what got Jesus through that night. It's what brought the disciples through to the end of their own journeys as they faced hatred, persecution, and death. In James, we also read, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We are deeply loved by our Father in heaven. Through Jesus, he made a way to give us new life and completely restore us so we could be adopted into his family. Um, We are so blessed, (laughs) far beyond anything we could ever deserve. So while we experience difficult and painful things in this life, we ultimately don't have to be afraid because we will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So to recap, here are the three things we can do to be grateful like Jesus. Give thanks when there is not enough. Give thanks for God's presence, and give thanks for the future that awaits us. What all three of Jesus' examples had in common was that they were audible. That's why I think we should practice speaking gratitude this week for application. Our words are seeds. You will reap what you sow, so be careful with what you say. In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul's telling us that when we show gratitude, we shine like stars, and that is the cutest metaphor. Um, If you don't have this verse memorized yet, I highly recommend it. I think it's interesting that gratitude, or in this verse, ingratitude, is connected to anticipating Jesus' second coming. It shows that if we really anticipate eternity with God, our words should reflect that anticipation. Um, And choosing to not complain is really weird. It will show the world around you that you see things differently. You will start to stand out in the best way and point people to God. Um, I've seen this modeled really well in our intern, Christina, who instead of complaining, will quietly say to herself, grumble, grumble. And it's contagious. I've picked up on saying it, too. It's a way to express that you want to grumble, but you're not going to let yourself do it. So this week, I challenge you to practice self-control and stop yourself from grumbling and complaining. 
Instead, audibly give gratitude whenever you think to do so. Sing songs of praise on your way to work. Tell your friends what God is doing in your life. Tell someone that you appreciate them. And we're going to practice doing that in the reflection. And one last thing I've been convicted to do more is simply pray out loud before I eat. Uh, some of us may have grown up praying before meals, but I think it's becoming more and more forgotten. And while it's not a commandment in the Bible to do this, it's just good practice. It's good to recognize that God has provided everything we need to survive. He provided the soil and rain for the food to grow. He provided the farmers who planted and harvested the food. He provided the kitchen and the tools to make it. He provided a time to rest and be restored in a meal. And he even provided people to enjoy the meal with. So slowing down before we eat and just thinking about these things can make us more grateful. And being more grateful will make us more cheerful. When I'm eating by myself, I like to say the prayer that Fraulein Maria says in The Sound of Music. For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly grateful. I love this prayer because it's not just trying to give thanks in your own power, but asking for God's help in making us grateful. Last year on Christmas, as I spent the day alone feeling really sad for myself, I decided to watch The Sound of Music to cheer myself up. And it really worked. The music is awesome, and Maria is just a Christian icon. And I especially love when she sings about all her favorite things. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when she's feeling sad, she simply remembers her favorite things, and then she doesn't feel so bad. Now, thinking of our favorite things is a great way to cheer up. Uh, but even more effective, in my opinion, is to think of our favorite people. Who are our lucky stars? Um, one of mine is my friend's baby, Judy. Uh, he is seriously the best baby. <laughs> uh, and I know, look, objectively, there may be better, cuter babies in the world. And there are babies I'm technically obligated to love more. <laughs> like my brother's baby, who was just born. But in my mind, Judy is the best, because he loves me, and he's special to me. So when I feel stressed or I can't fall asleep, um, I just think about how cute and sweet he is. I think, I love you too. <laughs> um, I think about like how he shakes his head when he thinks something's funny because he can't really laugh yet. Um, or he likes to put his tiny little hands on the side of my hands and push them together to make them clap when I'm singing him a song. I think of how lucky I am to be in his life. Um, and I think that our God, our grateful, loving God, feels the same way about us. I think that God's favorite people are his children who put their faith in him, who love him and live life with him. Uh, one of my favorite verses describes this in the book of Zephaniah. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Our God is a cheerful God. He delights in us. He sings over us. Let's respond to that love and be grateful people. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, I'm just really, really grateful to have this life, to have this community, um, to be with you. I just pray. Um, that we would see the blessings that you've given us. I pray that we would see what you're doing and how much you care. Um, and I pray that we look forward to the day where we get to see you face to face.
that we would live in the reality that um, good times are coming, eternity is on the way, eternity has already started. So we pray this in your good name, God, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.